invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13, as we continue our uh, series through this uh, book of the Scriptures, and we have seen in uh, the the past several weeks uh, displayed before us uh, several significant themes for our salvation. We saw uh, a few weeks ago the judgment of God displayed, His just and holy judgment displayed in the ten plagues that came upon the Egyptians, and yet at the same time, God's mercy and grace prominent before us as He passed over, we looked at last week, the houses that had the blood marked on their doors, the blood of the sacrifice lamb pointing forward to the mercy that we might enjoy today, Uh, equally in a world Underneath God's judgment, He continues to be a holy God and equally necessary for us to have mercy and grace through the blood of a sacrificed one. So we've seen these themes, judgment and grace, playing out over the recent weeks and see that these carry through to us today. And having seen those realities today, we turn to these verses and ask, what is next? What comes out of that? Having seen that God is a just God, what we deserve. Having seen that He's shown us His mercy and grace in passing over us through Christ. What's next? Well, we are moved to follow God. To follow after God. To respond to Him. And as we look at these verses today, seeing the first footsteps of the Israelites as they come out of Egypt and began to walk, having been freed from the bondage of that life of slavery they were in, into this new life to walk towards the promised land. So too we today should think about the freedom that we've been given in Christ to walk and to follow Him as well. Look with me. We'll look at just verses 17 through 22 of Exodus chapter 13. I'll invite you to stand with me as we recognize the power, the truth, the honor, the goodness of God's Word. Exodus chapter 13. Verses 17 through 22. I'll read it aloud as you read along silently with me. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray again for our time in God's Word. Oh, Father, we do pray and ask that you would come upon this time of us looking into Your truth, Your Word. We desire to see things that would strengthen us in our walk with You. We pray that You would meet us in that. Show us Your glory and strengthen us to follow after You. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Well, it was my first year serving as a college minister at St. Louis University. Spring break was rolling around, and by God's grace, we had gathered together a small but growing group of students who were excited to follow my lead in this ministry. I wanted to, uh, for spring break, free them from the flatlands of the Midwest, so we decided to take a trip to the Appalachian Trail along the border of North Carolina and Tennessee near Fontana Dam. I had been to the area before in high school, so I was familiar with it and felt like I could be a good leader for this trip. When we went in high school, I went with four other guys, and we covered 36 miles in three days. But we had a group of students who were gathering together, a mix of guys and gals, some of whom had never been backpacking before in their life. So I decided to crank it back to a leisurely little stroll of 28 miles in three days. I mentioned a number of these students had never been backpacking before in their life. That's going to play in uh, about one hour into our first day of hiking as we were moving up an elevation that day of about 4,000 feet climb total and covering about eight miles distance up those steep mountains. I could see right off the bat that maybe I wasn't providing the best leadership. Maybe this hadn't been the greatest idea, and I could see that folks were faltering to follow. The nice thing was the weather was at least good. The next day, after some bit of rest, we proceeded along. It was a 12-mile hike that day after that rigorous hike the day before, and I could hear sweet little Christian girls, college gals in the back of the line. They were at least a little bit back from me cursing my name for taking them on this trip. Several of them started to cry and asked if we could just turn around and go back. We made it through that second day's journey, and I knew I really was not demonstrating good leadership in planning this trip, and I knew folks were struggling to follow. But at least the weather was good. Went to sleep that night, woke up the next morning, And I felt my head against the hard, cold surface of the tent. And you know how when you're in between that sleep time and wakeful time, sometimes life just doesn't make a lot of sense. You get a thought in your mind, and it doesn't jar right. But I I was really puzzled by why my head was against a hard, cold surface of the tent. As I woke and began to look around, my tent mate and I, uh, Adam, were pretty much encased in the tent that had collapsed upon us. We had gotten about a half an inch of freezing rain over that night with five inches of snow piled on top of it on our spring break trip. We managed to get out. We literally had to chisel out. Two of our guys were in like a real small tent. This, the claustrophobic among you will be bothered by this. They literally can't, couldn't break themselves out of their tent. It was the last day of the trip, so we survived. We made it through, and the students hung with me for it. But I think back on that trip, and I think about God's people, our call to follow Him. There's a tremendous foil. If you've ever had to 
follow somebody that you didn't feel was leading well or that was leading you beyond things you felt you could possibly do that didn't really have a lot of concern for that or if you've been on the flip side and you've had to lead a group of people along. You know how important it is to have one who is a good leader, a leader you can trust, a leader that knows and understands your weaknesses and is committed to bringing you along, helping you to follow. As we look at these verses today, we see that God is this kind of perfect leader for us. Where the leaders around us that we see fall so greatly short, He leads us flawlessly. And indeed, as you look in your bulletin, if you want to follow along and take notes, the main idea here is that since God is our perfect leader, He's the perfect leader, we've got every reason to follow hard after Him. Every reason to seek after Him diligently. And that's what I want us to look at today. The first question for us as we start, think about this, is what kind of leader do you and I believe God to be? We know probably most of us here at some level that part of the spiritual journey is to follow Him, to follow after Him. And one of the most important questions for us to get at in order to rightly follow someone is do we believe they're worthy of being followed and capable of that kind of trust? As we look at these verses today, we're going to see that laid out. We're also going to see some other things because even if we know that God is worthy of us following, it's not an easy thing to do to take steps day by day to go hard after the Lord. That's not an easy thing to do. And we see that in three different ways in these verses I want us to talk about. One is that we need God to free us in order to follow Him. The second is we need God to help us follow Him. And the third is that we need God to provide a direction. In this case, it's fire to follow. We need to know where we're headed if we want to follow the Lord. So we think about these just for a minute. We'll go into them in more depth in a minute. But just like the Israelites had to be freed in order to follow God, so too we've got to be freed from the things that hold us back. And it's not just uh, issues of, if you think about our enslavement to sin, our being trapped in sin and being brought into new life, it's not just issues of substances that, are, that capture us. It's not just sexual addictions that capture us. The things that are more common to us and are really even as powerful are things like self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, self-centeredness. Nobody's going to necessarily get in your face for it. People might even not know these attitudes are in our hearts, but they trap us, they keep us in this lifestyle of serving and following ourselves. As we just heard sharing in testimony, our ultimate rival to the lordship of God for most every one of us is ourselves. I want to follow ourselves instead of the Lord. So we've got to be freed somehow to get out of that. We struggle with that. Old habits die hard. But we'll talk about that for a minute. As we think about the second point I mentioned, our need for help to be freed, the Israelites, you can see, we'll look at it in just one chapter later, are going to already be flustered by the fact that God has brought them out into the wilderness. And just like the Israelites, 
We tend to think, oh, God is bringing me forward, but I can't go where he's leading. He doesn't understand my weakness and difficulties. He doesn't understand the struggles I'm having. I've got to pull back. I've got to hold back a little bit in following him. I can't really love that unlovable person in my family or my workplace. God, you don't know how hard that is to follow you down that pathway. I can't really forgive that person who spoke that word of gossip about me or even worse. I can't really go down that path. But that's too, too far to follow, Lord. You don't understand my difficulty. I can't invite that neighbor or friend to come to the life group gathering at the end of this month. That's a big step for me, Lord. I, I just can't stretch out that far. And I'm not sure if the Lord understands my weaknesses. And look at these verses and see that indeed he does. And then the last thing we're going to look at is the reality that God goes before us. He shows us where to go. He gives us that in his word. He gives us that in Holy Spirit that's at work in our lives, guiding us. And yet we find, if we're honest, we're very neglectful of looking to God and following him as he's directed us in his word. Very neglectful of seeking Holy Spirit to lead us. Let's take a look at these points again. And what we're going to see, just again, make sure everybody's on board, is that as we see God leading his people, we're going to see things about how he leads and shepherds each one of us individually. So let's look at the first point. One is that we're freed to follow. And look with me at verse 17 to start out with. The very first words, it just says, When Pharaoh let the people go. Now you have to have a little bit of the background that we've been looking at the last few weeks, but it won't be hard to get you up to speed. The, Egypt, the Israelites were trapped in enslavement in Egypt, had been there for hundreds of years, and now God, through this series of plagues, has powerfully broken through to Pharaoh and is bringing his people out. God has freed them. He has done a work. And God frees us as well. If you want to turn toward the back of your Bible, you can, or you can read along with, or just listen to me read aloud, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 speaks of a similar liberation that we have to have in order to seek to be followers of God. The words are a little bit cumbersome, but I think you'll understand what Paul is talking about. Romans chapter 6. Romans is all the way after Acts. It's all the way after the four Gospels. It's before 1 and 2 Corinthians in your New Testament. Acts, or Romans chapter 6 verse 16 says this. Do you not know... That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. He's just saying all of us, you know, what was it, Bob Dylan, everybody's got to serve somebody. All of us are slaves to someone, even if we think we're free. You've got to make a choice whether to follow. But listen to this, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. How, do we, how does that happen? Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. God's got to do a work in our hearts to set us free so that we might seek him. Indeed, this is the message all across the scriptures. I think this is even the message if you want to turn back to Exodus 
uh, chapter 13, there's verse 19, which is kind of interesting. Got a whole nation preparing to go out and escape through this exodus. In verse 19, it talks about making sure to gather up the bones of Joseph. Interesting priority list, you know. <laughs> Checklist, do we have all two million people? Oh, yeah, let's make sure to get the bones of this fellow and bring him along. Well, why is that important? Why is it in there? Because it's a reminder. You remember Joseph came down to Egypt as a slave. God allowed him to rise to prominence, and then all the people came down. And the promises were made that one day God's people would be brought out. And so they're bringing up these bones probably for a number of reasons, but at least one of the reasons is that they are a stark reminder that things have come full circle. God has fulfilled his promise to free them, to free them up so that they might follow him. It's interesting, throughout the scriptures, God's people are going to need to be reminded of this again and again, and that's why I'm reminding us of it today. In the book of Judges, the people are going to seek after God and pursue him and love him, and then they're going to decide to turn away and turn to their own devices, and then God brings difficulty, and they cry out and say, God, would you help me? And they send a deliverer in the form of a judge, and they serve God, and then they do the whole thing, and it's a constant roller coaster through. Indeed, the whole Old Testament is that way. We come all the way up to Jesus and his disciples, and do we not see Jesus in John 6 turning to his disciples, and he's given them some hard teachings, some difficult things about following him. And he says, are you all going to turn away as well? Are you all going to turn, turn away as well? And they are scattered before his crucifixion. So it's hard to follow. In Galatians, it reminds us that we need to be freed. All the way up into the, the new church that's formed there, the Galatians, Paul uh, confronts them and says, why have you turned away from the true gospel to a false gospel? Why have you turned away from the gospel of grace and faith and righteousness through Christ, the gospel that you think you can kind of add to with your righteous deeds. But we've got to be freed to follow our hearts. Don't move that way. God's got to do something. I've put on your, uh, it's actually on your music sheet. If you would look on that white sheet with the music songs, um, I've been accused of, rightly accused of giving long quotes and not helping y'all to uh, follow along. So if you want to follow along with one, uh, here is one from Charles Spurgeon as we think about the beauty of what God does in freeing us. Spurgeon says this, he says, The Lord knows right well that you cannot change your own heart. It'd be a very wonderful thing if one could stand at the foot of Niagara Falls and could speak a word which should make the river Niagara begin to run upstream and leap up that great precipice over which it now rolls in stupendous force. Nothing but the power of God could achieve such a marvel, but that would be more than a fit parallel to what would take place if the course of your nature, my nature, were altogether reversed. And then he reminds us, all things are possible with God. He can reverse the direction of your desires, the current of your life. Instead of flowing downward from God, he can make your whole being tend upward towards God. That is, in fact, what the Lord has promised to do. We seek to follow God. If we begin to try to say, I want to live a life following after God, the first thing we've got to realize is He's got to free us to do it. And we need to regularly come back to Him and say, Lord, would you free me from these old attachments so that I might be able to follow you? That's the first point. The second and third will be briefer. 
The second one is this, that we've really got to be helped to follow God. Look back at these verses in Exodus again, Exodus 13, uh, verse 17 again, really interesting. That's bringing them out. He says, Pharaoh, let the people go. And then the very first thing it tells us is that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Then it goes on, verse 18, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land equipped of Egypt, equipped for battle. What's going on there? What's taking place? Well, he's telling us that right off the bat, God understands the weakness of these people. He is calling them out. He's leading them. But he recognizes that if they go down this path, it's the short road over to get to the promised land. But they're going to run into some competition right away. And he knows they're going to be thrown back. They're going to want to pull the ripcord and bail out of this journey of following God. And so he's kind and brings them along. It reminds us of similar verses in the New Testament. We're told in 1 Corinthians 10:13. you don't need to turn there. But God's familiar with our weakness. And he's not going to let us be tempted, what? Beyond what we can bear. He recognizes our weakness and comes near to us. Jesus tells us that there's a yoke to following him. There's a burden to it. But his yoke is what? It's easy. His burden is light. So in those places in our life today where we know, hey, God is directing me to move forward and following him, but I just I want to pull the record. I just want to bail out of this situation. He reminds us here that he's not taking us beyond what he can bear. He leads us, and he, he leads us in a loving and gracious way. It's interesting to me as well that these people come up out of the land. What does it say in verse 18? Equipped for battle. They're ready to fight. Theoretically, they've got the armor on, but God knows that they're not ready. He knows where they stand. And it reminds me as well that there is a fighting to our spiritual life. So God helping us to follow and God caring for us where we are and being gentle with us doesn't mean that we don't engage because the people of God are prepared. There's going to come a day when they're meant to fight. Uh, One of my fellow pastors here in town, Bob Flayhart, likes to put it this way, and I think it's pretty helpful. He talks about the gospel being a a three-step dance. He says, not just a one-step dance, you know, a a bunny hop is one step of repentance. It's not just repentance, nor is it even a a Texas two-step. I won't try to do one of those up here. It's not just a two-step dance of repentance and faith, although both of those things are huge. But the dance of the gospel is like a waltz. It's a three-step dance. It's repenting, faith, having faith, and it's fighting. It's struggling after God in order to follow him because it's not going to be easy. These people come out of the land prepared to fight. John Piper uh, put this, I think this might have been at the end of the year last year, as a way to reflect upon the previous year, but I think we could just apply it to our whole lives. He says there's really three things that we might say at the end of our life or maybe at the end of a given year, looking back over the degree to which we've received help from God and fought the good fight of the faith. He says one will say, I've fought no fight. 
because I felt no great desire to follow Christ and trust his promises. Satan and my own flesh got no resistance from me. That's one response. Another, he said, will say, I I felt some desire to trust Christ and to go his way. But whenever conflict arose, I was defeated every time. I really didn't fight a very good fight. And the third will say this, and hopefully this is perhaps what we can begin to say. Praise God. It was a hard but glorious journey. The Word of God came alive for me, helped me time and time again to overcome and to hold to Christ. It wasn't always easy, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can't do that alone. Can't do that in our own strength. Need help to follow God. Third and last thing we'll see in these verses is that we need to know where we're going. <laughs> you've got to be able to get out of the previous situation. You've got to be helped in the middle of your journey, and then you've got to have some idea where you're going. And isn't it a beautiful thing in these verses? I'll read them again, although we just looked at them. It tells us that the Lord went before the people day by day. The Lord goes before us every day as well. The Lord goes before us every day as well. And we're called to follow Him, to get behind Him and follow Him. I think I've shared this uh, before, but I'll close with a, a little bit of this. Uh, we, um, we do a little, little bedtime thing with the boys at night, and I usually, you know, on the nights that I'm home, try to go up there and read the Bible story time. And I think this was with my oldest a few uh, years ago we were sitting, so it's been a little while, but we had one of the big Bibles, the big picture Bible sitting out before us, and it had some story about Jesus and the disciples were there, and I don't remember exactly what the particular tale was, or the, the particular issue going on in that Bible uh, story, but I turned to my son and I was trying to have it be a teachable moment and wanted him to think about what it means to follow God, and so I said as we looked at that page with a picture of Jesus and some of the disciples on it, son, what what does it mean? What does it really mean to follow God? You know, kind of hoping to hear some litany list of, you know, things that we do to follow God. He took his finger and went like that, stuck it on the page of the book. Well, I thought maybe he didn't quite understand the question, rephrased, you know, come back again. So I said, now, what I'm looking for is kind of what are some things we do to follow God? Tap the page again as fathers will sometimes do when they feel like they're not quite being listened to. (laughs) I began to get a little bit frustrated. Rephrase the question, okay? Here's what I'm saying. What do we do to follow God? Tapped the page on the children's Bible book again. And it was about that time, as he looked up to me, that I realized where he was pointing. He was tapping the back shoulder of Jesus on the page of that Bible. And he looked up at me, and the teacher became the student as he told me, Daddy, you just get right there. You just get right there behind Jesus and follow him. That's how you do it. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we praise you for the lessons that you teach us through your word. Father, we thank you for the ways that you bring those lessons 
home for us. Father, we thank you that you call us out of our life of self-centeredness, of self-reliance, and we think it's uh, freedom to walk with that posture and attitude, but in fact it's a, it's a slavery. It's not living for what we were designed for. Oh, Lord, you tell us we we're designed to walk in your path, that we we're designed to run hard after you. Lord, we desire that that would be more a mark of our lives. So we ask today that you would show us the power of the freedom that you've given to us. Lord, would you show us that you don't call us to things that, that you don't help us to pursue. You come alongside us and you care for us. And Father, we pray that we would respond to the direction you are leading us, that we would follow after you as you have led us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.